This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt Necrone, Ryan Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans that bleed two-tone blue. Hey, this is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Welcome to another episode of Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland. Along with me tonight, friend of all Titan stars, Matt Necrone. How you doing, Matt? When you ride with the freak, you buckle up. Also with me, the officially unofficial Titans crowd, Glenn Lotzenheiser. How you doing, Glenn? (laughs) Oh, fuck. Yeah, right. <laughs> really? That's where we went. You yeah. gotta give me some warning with something like that so I can like put a German phrase together dude, or something, man. You, told you gotta me help we, me out. Dude. You told me early on we couldn't mention anything Nazi, so like at least I get kraut. <laughs> you you could have kraut, but you gotta tell me kraut is coming so I can like throw some Octolieben or something out there and like, give you a German <laughs> phrase or something. Damn. Think on your toes, man. I, my, my my toes uh failed German twice. <laughs> so I, it takes me some work to get there <laughs> Alright, we have a very special episode for you tonight uh, Obviously we're bringing you a little bit of news in the mailbag as always After the break though, very special guest Former Titans wide receiver Justin McCarrens will be joining us Very excited about this But without further ado, let's jump into the show proper here First question in the mailbag Reg Bannock asks, do you think we are underestimating the addition of Sylvester Williams? You know, it's possible. Um, Sylvester's one of those guys that had a high ceiling and just didn't show it in Denver, so maybe we are. Uh, maybe he comes in here and you know, he, he's a great nose tackle. I, w- I wasn't blown away by Al. I made that you know clear at the beginning of last season that Al was just kind of a placeholder guy, guy for me. I really thought Austin Johnson was going to be the guy that you know had that spot this year. The fact that they brought in Sylvester tells me that maybe not. I, I don't want to say that we're underestimating his addition, but he, he has a higher ceiling for sure than Al Woods did. So there's every chance that he comes in here and shows out, and then we're all just loving him at the end of the season. Yeah, with Al Woods, you kind of knew what you were getting, whether that was for better or worse. But with Sly Williams, I think that he basically could use a change of scenery just to you know kind of restart his career because coming out of college, he was – highly projected and he never really panned out i don't know if it was the scheme in denver or or what the deal was but i think a change of scenery will definitely help him out i don't think his job is locked up for sure but i do think we'll see a better slide than we saw in denver a couple things you're getting with williams that you're not getting without woods he's a little bit younger so obviously that's always an improvement he comes away from the best defense in the league. He has a Super Bowl ring. So you get a little bit of experience that you're not getting without Woods for sure. The thing is, though, I, I mean, I watched a lot of on Sylvester Williams. I looked up his pro football focus, uh, you know, their ratings. And, I, you know, I know a lot of people don't love those. But just to throw them out there, Williams rated last season as a 50.4. Woods rated as a 51. So basically the exact same player. When you watch this tape, he doesn't blow you away either. I think you are getting a younger Al Woods that has playoff experience. That's exactly what you're getting. So I don't, I don't know. I hope we're underestimating it. I just, I'm not 
overly enthused about Williams. I think he'll be a solid piece, you know, and if at worst, he's a great depth to have along the defensive line. But that brings us guys right into the next question with Antron Russell here. He's asking Sly Williams or Austin Johnson, who do you want as your nose tackle? I want Austin Johnson. I want him to step up and uh, you know, be, be the future because I think he's got a really high ceiling. And everything he had coming out of college, he he looked like he was going to be the guy. And then he just he was on the wrong side of the coaches apparently, and the play wasn't there. So he he's the guy I want because I think he gives us a lot more uh, just destructive behavior from the nose tackle. Whereas I don't think, like you just said, you know, Sly can do a whole lot for us. Uh, he is kind of just replacing Al Woods, and there is more possibility from him than there was from Al Woods. But Austin Johnson was the guy that excited me last year that didn't really turn out. So I want to see him as our nose tackle if he can prove that he you know deserves it. Yeah, obviously the answer is Austin Johnson. Uh, we need him to definitely step up to basically solidify the J-Rob legacy that he has going for him. Uh, <laughs> so I think I think Williams is a step ahead of him right now. But this is definitely going to be a camp battle that we need to watch closely. So Austin Johnson, hands down, no question about it. But I do think that Sly probably has the slight edge on him going into this training camp. Yeah, I mean, Austin Johnson, you're talking about a guy who's five years younger. Actually rated higher last year than both Woods and Williams. You know, those guys were in the 50 range. Austin Johnson was in the 63, I believe. And he hasn't reached his potential yet. You know, you can say the same thing about Sylvester Williams, but he's been in the league for a while now, and he hasn't reached that potential. You don't normally see guys not reach their potential for, you know, five, six seasons and then reach it. It doesn't happen very often. So I think you're getting what you see is what you get with Sylvester Williams. Austin Johnson, I think, has the highest ceiling uh, of the three if you want to bring out Woods into it. And I, my bold prediction for this year is, is I think – Johnson either beats Williams out of training camp or by week six will be the de facto starter at nose tackle. Yeah, that's a worst-case scenario right there. If he wins, you want him to win right away. You don't want the Sly sucks, Johnson sucks, let's throw Johnson in there because he's young. (laughs) Right. No, I mean, there's nothing that I saw on tape from last year between Austin Johnson and Sly Williams that made me think, like, oh, Sly Williams has to be the guy. You know, I, I saw... Two guys that were both, you know, mediocre. A little bit of maybe like average, I guess is the word you would use. But Austin Johnson's tape, you know, just like his rating reflects, is a little bit better. So and that's why youth was on his side. Uh, he hasn't reached his potential yet, which is also on his side. And, and he was already a little bit better. Do you guys think we could possibly see Antoine Woods step up and make the roster? There's a good chance he's still there at the end of training camp. I just I don't know that he can make the roster just because he everybody talks about him being an undersized Jarrell Casey, but being an undersized guy on a defensive line that's trying to get huge, I, I don't know that he can do it. He seems to have the drive and the potential, but I just don't know if he's physically going to be able to make that make that final cut. Yeah, just like Glenn was telling you, it's an uphill battle for him. The one thing I will say is though is the best thing for him is if Johnson and Williams both underperform and they're but they're both about the same there's no like clear winner at that position then they might be like you know we need to keep an extra guy around just in case because we're not seeing it out of these guys but if you see 
either guy, you know, Williams or Austin Johnson come out and perform in training camp, I think that's spelling the end. You know, I don't think they're going to keep three around if, if one or even both of them are playing really good. Let's jump into the next question here. Logan Gillespie is going to ask this one. Is it more important for Corey Davis or Adoree Jackson to have a bigger impact this season? Based on where the team is at, I'm going to have to say Adoree Jackson. Corey Davis, we saw last year we can throw the ball. And Corey Davis wasn't the only receiver we brought in because Eric Decker's here now. Logan Ryan, that's not enough to make me think that we don't need Adoree Jackson to be a standout rookie. I think he has to show up and be really, really good in order for our defense to hold up. You know, the the offense is going to make things happen because it's a ground-based game. So if one receiver of this group doesn't, you know, really perform all that hot, I think we'll be okay. We don't have that same kind of security on the uh, defensive side of the ball. I think Corey Davis is an obvious answer, but at the same time, it's almost a Dory Jackson only because that's what we need to see as a huge upgrade from what we had last year. Corey Davis coming in at number five obviously has way higher expectations, but we really need a Dory Jackson to step up and uh, basically be a performer for this defense. Uh, so, I, I mean, if it was a little closer in range, maybe not five, but say if Corey Davis got selected at 11, I would still probably go with Dory Jackson as opposed to Davis. But just because it's the top five pick, all the hype is there. Corey Davis has to perform right away. The first thing that crossed my mind was Glenn's answer. You know, we need Dory Jackson more than we need Corey Davis right now. Uh, but then I, I thought about it like this. If Dory Jackson has a bad year this year, we're all going to be like, well, you know, we expected this. He's raw. He's He's got the skills to be great one day, but he's a little raw. He needs a couple years. Corey Davis doesn't play well this season. You know, we already have... We thought, you know, us three at least, and a lot of fans out there, thought we reached a little bit for him. We don't think he's as good as a lot of people had him ranked. So if he doesn't have as good of a season this year, you're going to start being like, it was a mistake drafting him this high. I don't think he's going to have as long of a leash as a Dory Jackson is. And, you know, obviously, no, you don't know what's going on in the front office. But as far as fans go, Davis isn't going to have the leash that Jackson does because you're expecting Jackson to need a couple years to get his game NFL ready, but he's got the um, athleticism and ball skills that it, when it does become ready, he has the ability to be top five in the league. Corey Davis is coming in, you know, as as you know the polished wide receiver, the guy that should be good to go. You know, as as far as you can say that for any rookie. So I think that Adore Jackson has a little bit more of a leash to not play as well in his first year, and Corey Davis doesn't have that leash. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of answering it from a different perspective. There's more like Corey Davis has to show up and win kind of so J-Rob's pick was right. I'm more worried about winning the games in my side of the answer. You know, both sides are the correct approach where Corey Davis has to perform or else the front office is screwed up. Adoree Jackson has to perform or else our defense is screwed up. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I think they're right. both right. Yeah, I, I think that it was more of like you looking at the team – and I'm looking at the players. Um, but, yeah, I would mm-hmm. agree with you there. And I, I think Ryan sold that Adoree will take more than a year for him to be, you know, competitive, I guess is the word. But, Glenn, do you think it'll take more than a year? I do. That's what I'm saying is he has to show up and be better than expectations for our defense to hold up. I, you know, he is raw. 
he, he's got a lot to prove. So this year he's going to have to win on athleticism. He's he's a fast guy. He's you know got freakish uh, movement abilities, but he's also he still doesn't have the feet of a defensive back. He's still got to learn that. You know, so he's going to have to show up there and make a difference on special teams returning the ball. He's going to have to find ways to make big plays, jumping routes. You know, he, he's going to be that guy that comes from across the field and chases the guy 60 yards down the field to tackle him at the three-yard line so they don't score a touchdown. I'm less worried about him shutting a receiver down than doing everything else in his physical ability to help us win. And then he'll learn to be a better cornerback as time goes on. Yeah, I think also special teams will give him confidence being a cornerback as well. Now, that, that's huge for a rookie. If you can get their confidence up early, you know, sky's the limit. Absolutely. You know, that goes hand-in-hand hand with the ball-hawking and playmaking abilities. If he's having those great kickoffs, you know, returns a couple here and there for a touchdown or gets his really good returns, getting past the 50, stuff like that, that's going to make you, you know, when you line up defensively, you're going to have that in the back of your head. Like, if I get my hand on this ball, it's mine, and I'm taking it home. And and Dory Jackson has those kind of skills. Just He is a little raw, just needs to work out. A lot of the footwork, mirroring guys, needs to be able to, to do that a little bit better. But I think he will. I think it's just going to take some time. The, the one thing I wanted to ask you before we move off this topic is I'm a little nervous about this. And, you know, it's not a big worry, but I don't like – really athletic corners that are forced into big roles in their first year because I feel like they pick up bad habits that they don't get fixed for a while rather than getting the chance to learn more and play smaller roles. Does that worry you at all with Adoree Jackson? It's a valid concern. You know, Like I said, he's going to have to learn to make his play with his athleticism instead of his mind this year. And he can always end up leaning back on that. And you know, it comes to haunt you later on as time goes on where – you know, if he, he thinks in his head, well, I can always make this play with my feet instead of having to be in the right spot with my mind. I'm, I'm athletic enough. I can get away with this or trying to play with my head doesn't work. I have to go do it with my body instead. You know, it, there's always that chance. And that's up to the coaches. That's their job. That's that's where they make their money is bringing him along in stages where, OK, look, I don't expect you to be able to do this this week. And when he gets on the field, whether they told him that or not, he's going to try to do it anyway. But I don't expect you to be able to win this this route with this technique yet because you're not there. They're going to have to bring him along and just keep track of where his progression is so he's not reaching too far, too fast, getting discouraged or learning habits that don't work long term for him. Yeah, Dick LeBeau has been known not to lean too heavy on heavily on rookies but I do think that he is going to put a little bit more into a Dory Jackson this season but I guess time will tell and see how much that actually is all right guys moving on to the next question here Scott Sweetser asks is the new roster cut rule more or less beneficial to teams and players and before I let you guys answer here for anybody that doesn't know uh, the new rule being you stay at 90 you don't cut down what is it 73 or 72 uh, and then cut to 53. The new rule now is you keep all 90 players until you cut down to 53. So, guys, what are your thoughts on that? It it helps guys who are on the bubble that are close. You know, it, it gives them that ex, the extra you know few weeks to make the team. It, it keeps them in front of the coaches a little bit longer. So it helps you make this team. 
where it hurts you is if you don't make this team, all that extra time you spent, you could have been on another roster trying to make that team. So there's, there's going to be guys who can't make any roster because they were on one roster too long. Uh, you know, GMs always kind of keep track of that, the scouts, you know, as much as they can. What's going on on Team X's roster? Who are they likely to get rid of? Let's keep track of this guy. Or I've already got this guy marked from our scouting time. So, you know, if he gets cut somewhere, we'll try to pick him up. But that spot, you know, to try to pick him up may not be there anymore by the time he gets around to getting released. So it, it helps guys make your team. It doesn't help them stay in the NFL. Yeah, it also puts the scouts on their toes. I mean, you got to be when you, when you have a massive cut. I mean, we used to go down to seventy five. I think it was. I mean, that when we would have a little countdown, you know, ten guys here, seven or eight guys here on each day. It was easy to keep track of. You kind of knew what was coming up next, who was going to be the next group of cuts. When you put them all together, I mean, it's kind of. I don't know how you guys feel about it personally. I know we're talking about teams and players, but do you guys like this change? Because for me, it's almost like you know, if you're not paying attention. You have no idea what's coming. It's it's going to be crazy. It is. It's a good change of pace, I guess. It's something I'm not used to. Obviously, nobody is. But I'm not necessarily sold on the idea yet. I kind of like the way we we've been doing it. But I guess you know, change is inevitable, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Here's uh, my opinion. I agree a lot with what Glenn said. But you know, taking it a step further, even you're either going to have really crazy strong waiver pickups in like the first couple weeks of the season that are going to be easy because there's going to be guys there that didn't have time to go to training camp uh, or you know guys just don't get on a team that year that really should be or the opposite if those teams decide well he wasn't there for training camp but we'll get him up to speed you're going to have really sloppy week one to week four play because the teams are either going to bring these guys in and they're not familiar with the playbook they have to get up to speed and it's going to be sloppy or they're just not going to get the chance and they're just going to sit on the waivers for a season. And a guy that you know could be far more talented than a lot of guys that are finding these depth spots on rosters is going to be out there just because one team didn't need him. I really am not a fan of the rule change, to be honest. I feel like it hurts players. I feel like it, you know it's going to make the first couple weeks of the season more sloppy and less fine-tuned. That For me, I don't like it. I'm with you on that. I'm not – I mean – until it actually goes down and you see a trend and see actually how it plays out, it's hard to say. But for the most part, I agree with you. There's there's just – it's a lot of players at one time. And, and unless you're really following who you know who's who and what's what, it's going to be hard for uh, acquisitions you know, for certain positions. Yeah, I think the biggest part of this is, is just having a fuller roster going through preseason. I think that's where you're going to see the biggest difference is the veterans are going to play less – in the preseason because they don't have to. They're going to be keep trying guys out longer and it's going to help avoid some of those preseason injuries to the, you know, key personnel. So I think that's a big part of it is they they don't have to use veteran guys to work out and see how rookies can play. They can just keep using rookies against rookies and you know guys who are just trying to make a squad somewhere. They they it gives them more flexibility with their training camp side of it. And as far as the team's concerned, their business side of it, they're not really worried about the fans knowing who's going to be on the roster at the end of the preseason. They, they just want to keep their guys healthy. I was just going to so. say, Glenn, that's a great point there, too. And, Matt, you bring up the point. You're going to have, like, 1,200 guys hit the waivers on the same day 
for scouts, yeah. it's going to be a nightmare. I'm sure they're not looking forward to this change at all. Yeah, do you think with veteran guys getting less time, do you think that's going to hurt us early on in the season against uh, you know a, a great team at, that's the the Vegas Raiders? I mean, that's a huge game week one. If we have these these changes all of a sudden, our veterans may or may not get those reps that they that they normally would. So, I mean, ultimately, that may set us back a step or two. Yeah, it's up, it's up to the coaches. They have to manage this. And J-Rob has already said that he's not concerned about that process. You know, when he feels that this guy doesn't have a chance with our team anymore, he'll just let him go then. Uh, he's not going to hang on to guys just to hang on to them and, you know, deny them a chance with another team. So I expect the Titans at the very least – and pro- probably lots of other GMs, just get them off of your uh, roster, get them off of your pay counts. You know, th- you're not going to sign this guy. The coaches know you're not going to sign this guy. But if you need to hang on to him, you can. So guys will still probably hit the streets a little bit earlier, but you are going to see that big rush right at the end when they have to cut, you know, 20 guys. But I, I think that, you know, some GMs are going to do a good job of this isn't going to work out for you here. Go see who you can get on with. And then that guy will go and knock somebody else off of another roster somewhere. So you'll see some of it. It just it won't be the rush every other week or every week. It'll be all all at the end, and then probably you know ten fifteen guys kind of spread out over the three weeks before that as they move people around. Right, Glenn's right there. You're going to see a trickle and then a boom now instead of seeing you know moderate steps like we're used to seeing. But you know Matt talking about your point, it's something that the Raiders are going to have to do too. It's something that, you know, the Seahawks are going to have to, every team that we play is going to have to go through the same process. So it really is, like Glenn said, it's about the the coach and the, the general manager making sure these guys, everybody gets enough reps on the team that everybody's ready to go. You know, everybody's going to go through the same process. Let's jump to the next question in the mailbag. Cody Milholland asks this one. Who are some players you want to see possibly added whether it be from leftover free agents or players you think will be likely cut from other teams or sent over in a trade? I don't think there'll be a lot of trading. I mean, last year was kind of different with, like, Kelly because they're getting rid of DGB. I don't think we have a lot of that on this team at this point. We've replaced so much of the roster. I don't look for them to make a lot of trades unless they're trying to upgrade something. And and they could. They could say, look, I've got one too many outside linebackers. I need another you know, left tackle. Let me do this. Or possibly the other direction, too. It, that that could happen. Trades, I don't see us doing a lot of wheeling and dealing. It's not that J-Rob isn't someone who does trades. It just I don't see them needing to do a lot of that. As far as players getting cut from other teams, it's it's so early in the process. You know, obviously we're all talking, you know, defensive secondary, just you know, cornerbacks. We've got plenty of safeties, and that could be where you see a trade. It's like, you know, Cersei gets traded out or something. Unless there's a real need, I don't see a trade, and it's too hard to call what we would pick up except for depth players at just different positions, particularly I would think the defensive line and the secondary. But you very rarely see guys get cut that can come in and make a big impact for you. Yeah, I don't want to repeat what you just said. I mean, I agree with you, but unless there's an injury or you know we get some sort of great value for one of our guys that we have good depth, you know, at that position, like you just said, Cersei, that makes a little bit of sense for me. Um, you know, J-Rob said it before, his door is always open. Now, I'm not looking for a trade particularly, but at the same time, if if 
someone on another team goes down, they need, you know, something that we have and it makes sense for both sides. That's one thing. But as far as cuts go, I mean, that's ultimately most likely where we're going to acquire somebody from a, from a cut. I mean, but to say who that may be, you never know. Obviously we're still looking at that secondary uh, cornerback position for sure. Other than that, um, I, I really like where the team is at. And unless, you know, I want to knock on wood, we stay healthy. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking to upgrade much, much more than the secondary. Yeah. It, you guys hit it on the head with most of this here. It, it, trades are too hard to call. And, you know, knowing who's going to be cuts even harder to call, you know, we're trying to pretend, you know, that we're in J Rob's head week, week in and week out. That's what we do on the show. We can't do that with every general manager across the league. So I don't know about that, but I looked at free agents that haven't been picked up yet um, that are still free out there. And one guy really caught my eye. I forgot he was still a free agent. You know, everybody's been talking about Darrell Revis. I'm not that high on him, but a guy that is going to be cheaper that I think would be just as much of an upgrade as Leon Hall. You know, this is one guy that I think we should watch, keep an eye on. He had a solid career. He's been a second-team All-Pro in 2009. He's had at least one interception in every single season he's ever played. But the one thing I like about him the most is his versatility. He's had a lot of experience playing the nickel, playing with his back on the sideline. Also has had some experience playing free safety. So if we needed to play him in a pinch, he has experience in that position. Last season, Pro Football Focus put out that he was one of the least targeted corners in the NFL. And that's per snap one of the least targeted in across the NFL. So they're at least aware of him, uh, quarterbacks are, the talent that he has shown throughout of his career. Now he's at the end of his career now, but he's going to be really cheap. Last year he played for the Giants. He was on a one-year, one-and-a-half-million-dollar contract with the G-Men. And, you know, they cut him. No one's picked him up yet. So going into his 10th season, the veteran minimum for a 10-year player is one million. I think we can sign him for that, which is not a lot of money to throw at our secondary for a guy that has had a long career. He's not going to be around for long, a year, maybe two. That's probably stretching it. But just a little, you know, kind of band-aid to help this secondary uh, until we can go in next year and, and get into free agency in the draft and add some more talent. Don't think he'd be a starter, but he would be some insurance for this team with so many young guys out there, unproven guys out there. You get some really good insurance depth uh, with Leon Hall. So that was one guy that you know I thought would be a good pickup for us. That's not a bad idea, honestly. I think for that price, and you know, you look at guys like Terrence Newman, who's been around longer than ten years, I believe. You know, he's still performing. But you you get a solid performer like Leon Hall for that little amount of money for only a one year deal. There's no way we would use him for any more than than a year. But you know, actually, that that kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're at, but I think he ends up not making the squad even if we did. Uh, just, I, I don't think that this coaching staff is too worried about guys who don't have a long-term future with us. Uh, I mean, obviously we brought in Decker for one year, but I think he probably stays around a little bit longer than that if he wants to. Yeah. Uh, Andre Johnson last year, that was pretty much a one-year deal. Come in here, show the rookies how it's done. Thanks for your service, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for your one catch against Detroit. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's pretty much how a, a Leon Hall signing would go too. Is he he would come in there, but they're not going to take reps away from Sims and Jackson to give Leon Hall time on the field. So he's only going to come in to backfill, and 
the price is right for sure. I just I don't see them doing it. Yeah. Also, um, with with him, wherever he goes, I bet you it's going to be after you know all the the hard hitting training camps go down. Oh he's, yeah. He's not doing that shit this year. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's not here to be hitting pads all summer. He you you do your two a days, you get that crap out of the way, and then we can talk. Right. And you know, one thing is I have thought about. You guys brought up uh, Andre Johnson. I thought of him a little bit more like a Harry Douglas. You know, obviously had a better career than Douglas. Um, but a guy that's not going to come in and, and be a, a starter, but a great veteran to have around, too, that has had high levels of success throughout of his career, you know, to kind of help these guys, you know, like an Adoree Jackson, Sean Sims. is kind of like having another coach around, but he's also there for insurance in case you do need a guy. You know, you have we have one injury on the secondary and you know shit's gonna get bleak so having a guy like leon hall around for that veteran presence and you know if something happens we're not you know throwing away the season we're not in a terrible position it's not like mariota's got to start throwing for 400 yards a game so i I thought it would be a good pickup especially for how cheap he's gonna be man that's that's a huge factor obviously in this but let's move on to the last question. This one was one that was asked on the TTU fan page, Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Uh, if you're not a member, go get an invite right now because it is the best fan page on the entire internet regardless of team. And that's just my unbiased opinion. But Morocco Taylor, good friend of the show, asked this one. I thought we had to ask it. It's a really good question. Which Titans player, one on offense and one on defense, has the most to prove this season? If I'm, you know, defense, we've already talked about him. It's Austin Johnson for me. He, he's absolutely got a lot of, lot of proving to do. He's really young. He's the heir apparent. But if he's not going to get it done, they're going to replace him. You know, they've already brought Sylvester Williams in. Sylvester Williams is the guy he should be able to beat out. But if he doesn't do it, that could be a, a career backup role for Austin Johnson, you know, or at least until you get a chance to go to another team. On offense, you know, there's a lot of guys out there. You know, it's it's you're kind of stuck with your wide receivers and your rookies there, and some of the offensive line. Like you know, Klein's got to come in and prove that he's definitely going to be our you know, our starter at right tackle. There's guys that in there that could be uh, challenged for their spots. I think the guy that I'm going to say has the most to prove, though, and to prove that he belongs, is going to be Tajay Sharp. He had a really good rookie season. You know, lots of guys don't understand how good of a rookie season he had because he didn't put up Randy Moss numbers, but he's not Randy Moss. He wasn't going to be Randy Moss. He had a really good rookie season. He proved himself. And then we brought in two rookies and Eric Decker. That just became one of our deepest, hardest to make the roster uh, positions for the team. You know, he's at this point, he's fighting for third or fourth on the depth chart. And that was before Decker came in. So now he's fourth or fifth. He's got a lot to prove. He's got his off-the-field issues, and now he's really got to do some work. He's going to have to show us a lot this preseason. And I'm not saying he'll get cut, but he could end up fading away if he doesn't come out there and make some great catches and show that you know these Instagram pictures of him working out and doing pull-ups actually translates to on-the-field performance. Most approved for me on defense, I'm going to go ahead and say Logan Ryan. You know, he's the guy that got brought in from New England. He's he's going to try to be our cornerstone cornerback. He's he's getting paid, you know, $10 million a year. He's got to be a leader out there. I don't think he'll have any problem with that. But can he play on the outside? That's the biggest question. Um, 
if we can find someone else to do that spot and put him where he fits in, you know, comfortably, great. But I don't know that we can do that. So we really need him to step up and prove that he belongs as our team's leader on defense and secondary. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of questions going in with him, so I'm not sure if he can get that done or not. But on offense, I could go two different ways. My first instinct was to go with Derrick Henry. I think this is going to be a big season for him. I mean, he hasn't shown us quite yet what he can do. But I do think he's he's going to have a good year. You know, I think DeMarco is still going to be that guy, but I think Derek's going to have a much larger role. But most to prove, hands down, has got to be Corey Davis. We talked about it earlier. I mean, number five pick coming in, and, and he definitely has a chip on his shoulder, you know, coming off that injury, coming from a small college and playing a bunch of guys that really probably aren't in the league. And, you know, he's going to have a much higher competition level and – can he step up and be that number one pick? For me on defense, start there. I went with Kevin Dodd. You know, he needs to come up and prove that he's worth a roster spot. Brought it up on the show a bunch. Everybody keeps throwing around that that bust moniker. I don't think he's earned it yet, but he's getting close. But you have to put something on the field or people are going to quit defending you. People are going to quit, you know, saying, oh, you got to give him more than one year. He's got to come out and show that he deserves to be on this team, that he's going to be uh, you know, part of the future of this franchise. That's, for me, on defense is my pick. On offense, I went a little bit of a different direction here, and I went with Marcus Mariota. Uh, and here's my reason why. The, one of the big things, first off, is next year's a payday. Next year's when he's going to get that first big contract. So the way he performs this year, I think, is pretty critical. If he stays healthy all 16 games and doesn't go down for anything, has a season that's even better than it was last year, he's going to make probably you know, top in the league, if not right there at the top of the league. If he comes out, you know, he has some injury problems, or he just doesn't perform that well, you know, you're talking about that number significantly decreasing. So that's a, a big difference. Also, another thing is, you know, Marcus had a good first year, obviously, had a good rookie year, but we had a really bad team around him. We win three games that year. Next year comes in. We build some pieces around him. We're just shy of the playoffs. So now, you know, the most pressure is always going to be on the quarterback. That's the way it's set up, you know, in today's NFL. So now he's got an even better team than he had last year. We added some new pieces, some more weapons. So now he needs to go out there and, and help this offense bring it all together and put it all together and get into the playoffs. So for those two reasons, you know, getting into the playoffs now that he has the pieces around him to do it and that big payday, I think, puts Marcus as the most approved next season. That's all we have for the mailbag this week. As always, you can find the mailbag on our Facebook page, uh, Two-Tone Uncensored on Facebook, or on the Tennessee Titans Uncensored Facebook fan page, we share it in there each and every week so you can comment your questions. We take the best ones and answer them every week. But before we go into the second half of the show, real quick news segment we're going to do here. Guys, we're just about a week away from training camp starting. And so I wanted to ask you one real quick question before we move on to the second half of the show and this Justin McCarron's interview. We've talked about you know the best and worst positions, but right now for the Tennessee Titans... What do you think is our most underrated and most overrated positions? Overrated would have to be defensive line. You know, obviously, Jarrell Casey is not anything overrated whatsoever. 
but uh, the pieces around him, you know, we don't know who's going to play that position. Daquan Jones really isn't much, in my opinion. He's kind of just that default starter guy. You know, that's just the first position that I came up with that that gets credibility that may not deserve all all of it. You know, we do need to fill in that that spot. And, you know, obviously Klug coming in as a, a role role supporter, we don't know how he's going to come back from that injury. So uh, we do need to see a lot from the D-line. Underrated. Uh, when healthy, I'll say the linebackers. I know, you know, Avery Williamson's in a contract year. Arakpo and Morgan are great when they have help around them and stay healthy. And then we brought back Woodyard, which, you know, he came back for a cheaper deal. I wasn't thrilled about that, but it's something we did, and it made sense. So I'm not going to bash it, but I think if we could bring in uh, Jalen Brown a little bit more on the inside as opposed to the outside, I think that would make sense for us. But those that group is a little bit underrated in my opinion, and I think that you know if we can get a little a little rotation with Kevin Dodd also in the mix, that group could definitely pan out. You know, I really don't have anything different to say with what Matt just said. The defensive line is overrated. People talk about it. It's Jarrell Casey and Rackpo on one side, and Morgan bringing pressure and stuffing the run off the other side. It's got more to do with it than the nose tackle on the other defensive end spot do. I've just I haven't been satisfied with Jones or Woods or now Williams. That whole rotation group in there. Other than Casey, it's they're okay. They're just they're average producers of. It's all you're really getting out of him. That's overrated to me. Uh, Jarrell Casey just brings that number up on his own. But like like we've said before, if you put a quality defensive end out there next to Derek Morgan, you may actually see some production. But right now, you know, no one goes out of their way to stuff Daquan Jones with Morgan on the outside. He gets the outside edge attention because you don't have to really make a choice. And Daquan Jones is an athletic guy, don't get me wrong, but he just he doesn't scare you. So I, I agree with Matt. It's the defensive line is overrated. I thought Austin Johnson was them addressing it last year, which obviously that's what they were doing, but he's not proved it yet. I, I still think that Austin Johnson, you could slide him out to a defensive end next to Sylvester Williams and upgrade that position even with the way he played last year. Just there's things to be done there that I'm not satisfied with yet. Underrated. Possibly our safety group, but a lot of us think a lot of that group. So then I would just go back to the linebackers with Matt. I, I think that our outside guys, they, they're really good pass rushers. That's what they mostly do because it's a 3-4 defense. And then our inside guys, Williamson and Woodyard, the only problem I have with those guys is their coverage of tight ends across the middle. But that may be us not understanding the defense. That may not be their job. It may be that the safety should have been covering that. You know, we don't know better. But that linebacker group that we have, our starting linebackers, they're pretty solid. We wanted to see more from Dodd. We haven't seen it yet. We've got some new guys in like Brown that have a lot of potential, you know, for the future. That, that That's a group that probably doesn't get as much respect as it should. But I, I would still like to know who's in charge of t- covering these tight ends. Is it supposed to be one of those outside linebackers? Is it a middle linebacker? Is it the safety? Who, who Who's letting these safeties run wild on us? It may not be the linebacker's fault. We just may not understand the defense because this is Dick LeBeau, and I'm not about to tell you that I know how his defense is supposed to run. You guys went to school together. Sorry. <laughs> well, Glenn was a couple years ahead of him, but... <laughs> 
for overrated, I agree with you, defensive line. But just to take it in a little bit of a different direction so we all don't have the same answer, I uh, went with wide receiver. I think we've improved a lot. Uh, you know, it's obviously improved a lot. But a lot of people are getting really high on it when this is still probably going to be in a slightly above average unit. You're talking about a wide receiver core that brings in Matthews off of his first really good season. Eric Decker with injury issues that is 31 years old. And then everybody else that's noteworthy is either a rookie or coming into their second year as a Titan. So, you know, there's still a lot that could go wrong here. You know, a lot of people have gotten really high on this wide receiver core, and it is vastly improved on last season's. Uh, but I still, I think that, you know, some people are expecting this to be, you know, top five, top seven kind of wide receiver core. You've seen a lot of fans kind of say that kind of stuff, and it's not going to be like that. This is going to be still, you know, an average, slightly above average unit. So I think they're, you know, obviously I still think the defensive line is the best answer, but to go with a little bit something different, I went with wide receivers. For underrated, I also went linebackers, but more specifically inside linebackers. I know we had a ton of trouble guarding tight ends uh, and anytime really we dropped back into coverage with our inside linebackers wasn't great last year but we also you know we forget that these linebackers are also really really good against the run Avery Williamson like every stat you pull up with Avery Williamson against the run he's like top three in the league or top five in the league with every metric against the run Woodyard is not as good but still a really good run stopper these guys both are phenomenal run stoppers and you know they uh they're not as good against the pass we've brought in some guys that i think will help with that uh, but i think people just automatically assume or you know kind of forget i not assume but they forget how good they are against the run because of how bad they were against the pass last year and that's why i think they get most underrated yeah you know i i can't disagree with you on the wide receiver group because people are blowing them up this is still a run first team these guys aren't going to have the opportunity to have incredible seasons. You know, we're, we're going to pound the rock. We're going to control the clock. This is not going to be the team that you have two receivers putting up a thousand yards apiece and Marcus throws for forty touchdowns. They're going to have their chances, but the expectation, I think, is the bigger problem more than the overrated problem. Is that guys don't understand that we are not running the run and shoot. This is not going to be an aired out offense. We're not air rating anything around here. Exotic smash mouth, take it to heart. It's going to be smash all right. Smash mouth. All right, that's about all we have for the first half of the show. We're going to take a quick commercial break here. When we come back, as promised, we'll have Justin McCarrens and a great interview. I'm really excited to sit down and talk with this guy. So we'll be right back. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show, and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, then this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk to crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. 
You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. What up, Two Tone Nation? It's your boy Morocco, aka Morakpo, and you're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, we're very excited to be sitting down with Justin McCarrens, former Tennessee Titans wide receiver. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to have you. First question I wanted to ask you, uh, right now, Justin, I'm going to school at Ohio University, which was a former rival for you in college. You had a great college career at Northern Illinois, You know your senior year, the best wide receiver in the MAC, uh, and then you were inducted into your school's Hall of Fame. So I just wanted to ask you, what was it like to receive that kind of honor from your alma mater? It was great, man. I uh, My college career and how how it started even just the recruiting process was pretty, pretty unique for me. And, uh, and for just the uh, normal story, it's, it was just one day, like all the big schools I wanted to play for all the big 10 colleges just stopped calling me at once. And the only offer I had was Northern Illinois. You know, it was one of those situations where as a freshman, I think they had the longest losing streak in NCAA history at the time. So it was not like a positive environment football wise at school, but I had to kind of step in and, and contribute as a true freshman and kind of grow up fast. And uh, I think that that helped me. If I would have gone to a bigger college and, you know, redshirted and, you know, it's real easy to get distracted in college, as you guys know. And I'm one of those guys at the time I really needed, you know, purpose and direction. And, uh, and it helped me, it, you know, it just helped me grow into a better player and a, and a uh, more mature player. So, you know, I, I, those years at NIU were, were probably the, you know, best football wise of my life, just because, you know, I've made some lifelong friends. And uh, one, one of your receiver coaches, or the receiver coach now for the Titans, Frisman Jackson, was a uh, freshman who came in with me at the time. And I think we completely, you know, he threw a bomb to me, and it was the first touchdown uh, they'd had in like two seasons, you know, touchdown catch that uh, NIU'd had in two seasons and it was from Frizz, the true freshman to another true freshman freshman. And, uh, he ended up transferring, but, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a receiver coach for Tennessee. Now PJ Fleck, I got to play with, uh, coaching at Minnesota now who was, uh, had a great career over at Western Michigan. So yeah, I got to play with some really quality players and coaches and, uh, made some great memories and it's great that they, they honored me. It's, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a big deal in my opinion. And, uh, we, you know, my family gave back, I think, they still have the McCarran's offensive meeting room, uh, which will be there for a while. And, uh, you know, I'm real proud of that. I'm real proud of my career at Northern. Justin, you were talking about, you know, coming into a, a team that hasn't won in a long time, you know, that they have had a long time since they were a successful program. Did you feel a lot of pressure then coming into that situation to, you know, try to get over that hump and try to start winning football games and really changing, you know, the tide at that school? Being a, being a busy freshman receiver and just trying to find, you know, just trying to get my legs under me. I don't even think I, I felt any pressure at all. It was it, the environment, even with the, you know, just on campus and the, the lack of respect for the football program kind of brought us together as a team and, and really made us tight. And we worked, you know, we worked very hard and uh, I think it was kind of us against the world, you know, type of attitude. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't, I didn't feel any pressure. It was just, you know, I knew I knew it would come. I knew, uh, and, and by the time I was a senior, we were six and five, and uh, and nowadays everybody's heard in Northern Illinois they've won the MAC uh, multiple times, and the program is you know something I'm real proud of. 
proud of that, uh, being part of that growth and uh, and the building to where they are now. I'm going to take you back a little further, Justin. Um, It took a little reading up on you to find this out because I never knew, but apparently you went to high school with Chris Brown, who obviously was a future Titan as well. Uh, Were you and Chris close in high school? He was a freshman when I was a senior. Um, And I, I guess I played with his brother as a sophomore when I was moved up to the varsity. His brother, Lavelle Brown, was, you know, he was a stud over at Northwestern, and uh, I think he hung on somewhere in the league for a while. But he, he, his, his older brother really introduced me to, to him, and, uh, and, and I, you know, you could tell right away both those guys were amazing athletes. And watching Chris uh, throughout college and in the pros, I mean, he was, you knew that was coming when you saw him as a freshman. He was like darn near the same size he, he was when he played in the league. So he, uh, yeah, he's he's a good guy, and uh, I haven't been in contact with him for a while. But uh, yeah, we were, you know, the family was tight. We went to camps together and uh, and worked out often. So I'm wondering where he is right now. I guess you, you guys should try to get in touch with him. I was just going to say we may track him down and find out. <laughs> yeah. You you were drafted by a team that had Steve McNair, who you had already cemented himself as a star in the league. How exciting was it as a receiver to go to a team that had a great veteran quarterback? Oh, it was great, man. That was, uh, I can't stress enough how that was the perfect environment for a, uh, a young player to go into, you know, not just Steve, but the, you know, the entire huddle was filled with guys that had me bug eyed and, you know, being a dizzy rookie again to where you're looking around the huddle, you know, mid midway through the season, you know, and just being like, I can't believe I'm playing with these guys. And Steve, you know, being in awe of him and, you know, he's one of those guys where you knew he was a hall of fame type player, but he didn't act like it, you know, and anyone who knew him probably says the same thing. You know, he, he's the type of guy, if I, you know, receiver screws up or runs the wrong route or something, he's like patting you on the back and saying, don't worry about it, man. You know, meanwhile, coach Heimerdinger, the offensive coordinator at the time is, you know, screaming at the top of his lungs to where the the fans can hear him. But Steve was just one of those guys who'd take you aside and give you a smile and, uh, you know, pat in the back. And he, you know, it was, the perfect environment that any any rookie receiver to walk into, you know, to, to be successful. I mean, the guy was, a, was an amazing human being. What was it like playing for uh, uh, Dinger, as everybody calls him? Uh, he always seemed like he was a pretty intense individual. Oh, yeah. Uh, Drew, Drew Bennett and I used to joke, you know, in the offseason about, like, and, and we were serious, though, that, you know, we you'd have nightmares about the guy as a young <laughs> a young player. And he, he demanded a lot. But the thing you learn quickly is if he wasn't yelling at you or coaching you up, you weren't going to be a player in his eyes, you know. So if, he, if you're getting the attention, the, you know, the unwelcome attention oftentimes, he knew he liked you and he saw something in you. And um, by the time I think my third year uh, with him in Tennessee, he could scream and, and you learn to just tune it out, you know, do your thing and whatever. And that was just him. That's how he coached and uh, – he was a fiery guy, but he loved the game. And, and honestly, I owe him a lot just getting to Tennessee because I, I found out later he was one of those guys who, you know, was pounding the table to, to draft me in the third or fourth round. And, um, and his dad, funny story, his dad is an alum at Northern Illinois also. He was a quarterback back a long time ago. And he, I guess, you know, as a you know, Mac player, you know, doing well and working hard, but he spotted me and brought – me to uh, his son's attention and 
And that's kind of how I, I, at least I heard, you know, partially wound up uh, in Tennessee. What a good story. And, uh, yeah, may he rest in peace. Great, great coach, great family, really knowledgeable. And, um, and he knew, he knew how to coach receivers. He coached uh, Ed McCaffrey and um, I forget the other, uh, Rob, uh, Rob, Rod Smith. I think, oh, God, I can't remember Smith, his name. Yeah. In, uh, Denver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He coached those guys and that's how he kind of coached Drew and I, you know, he saw, we had similar body types and, uh, and styles uh, of play and, uh, and it worked for me. If I look back on it now, I kind of regret even, you know, going to New York to where it was just a perfect offensive system for the type of receiver I was. Speaking about that move after the 2003 season, you're traded to the jets. Uh, you know, personally, I've always wondered what it feels like to go through a, a trade as a, like a professional football player. Cause you know, you don't have a lot of control in that situation. So what did it feel like, you know, going through that whole, the whole move from Tennessee to New York? It was, it was rough to be honest. You know, it was, uh, I'm kind of a homebody type of guy and I, you know, just Tennessee Nashville was, um, you know, perfect, perfect. Like I said, perfect locker room, perfect offense, perfect living situation for me, you know, having, being from Chicago, you know, the distance and just that, you know, smaller town feel New York was, uh, you know, it was a little overwhelming and, um, different locker room, great locker room full of guys, but, but a different feel. And, uh, you know, Herm's going to coach differently and the offense, all of a sudden I realized I, I spoke about the offense before, um, you know, post routes and deep routes and vertical stuff was, was kind of my, my thing. And, uh, I'm looking at the playbook from the first day, like you guys don't have any post routes in this offense. And they, and they, you know, Chad Pennington, Pennington obviously isn't throwing the ball as well as, as far as, uh, Steve McNair. So we did just something they didn't <laughs> took out of my game. So it was, uh, there were a lot of things that I didn't like about being there, but it turned out to be a really good situation. And, um, you know, just a great experience overall that I wouldn't, you know, if I can go back, I, I guess I wouldn't trade it. And, and you know how it is, you know, it's a bit, it's a business first and uh, you, you, you quickly learn that and then you adapt and do the best you can. That's all you can do. A follow up to that as a player, do you go back and look to see what was involved in the trade, you know, kind of gauge your value in the eyes of the teams that are trading? No, I, I always kind of felt like, a, you know, I knew it was, it was one of those situations too, where I kind of welcomed the trade because, you know, Floyd, I think Floyd Reese, uh, you know, he, I don't, you know, I don't feel like from least what my agent told me, you know, the, the money was going to be better somewhere else. So, you know, obviously, you know, that's going to play, play a big factor in how I felt about it. But, you know, I, I was one of those guys who just tried to put my head down and focus on, uh, focus on what I had to do. You know, I knew the NFL was, uh, you know, it's, it's going to come and go quickly. And so I just, I didn't worry about the things I couldn't control. And even now, like I said, I don't think I'd, I'd change anything. I'm like, you know, it happened the way it did. And uh, I had a great experience that I wouldn't trade anything for. Pretty, you know, and, I, and you know, there's tons of players growing up who have a ton of talent and, uh, and, you know, just don't even get the opportunity. It doesn't work out for them. And, um, man, I was really grateful to be there, and I never forgot. I, I always in the back of my mind, I knew someday that uh, it was going to end. So just tried to make the most of it and not, not worry too much about those things. How would you compare the two coaches between Jeff Fisher and Herm Edwards? 
very similar in terms of, you know, being, being former players and they, you know, haven't played the game. You have a, you know, good outlook on, on knowing what players are thinking oftentimes and, and knowing when to back off of practices or, or step things up or, and knowing, you know, just how to talk one-on-one with guys. So they were both very personable, personable guys and both, I think, defensive minded coaches, if I'm correct. You know, I know, uh, yeah, I know coach Fisher was a, a bear cornerback and uh, you know, both of them, I think preferred to coach a little more hands-on with the defense. Um, but you know, difference. I just you could just tell you know certain players that are brought in or certain you know I think uh, Coach Herm Edwards was a one of those coaches who was big on giving guys a second chance you know and uh, and I, I, I'm sure Coach Fisher if you look back did that a few times as well but they uh, they were very similar to me and uh, and great player, great guys to uh, play for actually he felt like he, the door was always open and uh, you hear that a lot but. It, it was true with those guys. I've always enjoyed watching uh, Herman, his second career as a uh, broadcaster. Uh, just He seems very straight and direct with you, but also he understands that these are human beings he's dealing with, not just machines out there earning money. Yeah, I agree. And, he, uh, and that's not fake. You know, I think that's, that's him. He, the same way he, you see him on ESPN is how he would talk to uh, – talk to the team in a team meeting and that same, those same mannerisms and that exciting, you know, yet funny things that he says. I mean, he's a, he's a real guy. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I enjoyed playing for him. Uh, what played a part in your going back to Tennessee after the Jets? It was just one of those things. I, I don't, you know, there wasn't much interest after, you know, Tennessee was, I think one of two teams kind of willing to take a look at me and, uh, and, you know, having known, most of the players and, or I'm sorry, most of the coaches who were still, you know, the staff was still there. So, and I knew the offense already and, you know, it was just a good fit. I was, I was happy to come back. It, it was a, I think a great way to end out my career. Were there any real differences in the team from when you left, when you came back, it's just as far as the feel of it when you got back? Not too much, you know, still, still, uh, Hard, like de- defensively, I remember just it feeling like, man, this is just like when I left. I mean, the guys are just an attacking defense full of weapons. Um, yeah, and and playing with Vince Young was a great experience as well. So that's going to be different. But no, no, it, it felt you know the environment was very similar to to what I remembered, and um, and I think that started with the the coaches and uh, you know and and Coach Fisher. Just just the uh, you know he's bringing he's bringing people in who he knows. Uh, you know, he knows he likes and he knows what they're going to bring to the team. And, um, you know, it felt great. Very similar. Uh, Minnesota's current head coach and former head coach of Western Michigan, P.J. Fleck, is a guy you mentioned, you know, close personal friends with you, and you guys played together in college. Obviously, the Tennessee Titans just drafted, you know, his best weapon from last year in Corey Davis. What are your thoughts on Corey Davis and – do you think he'll be able to adjust to the greater talent pool of defensive backs he'll face in the NFL? I got a chance to watch the entire practice when they came to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. And uh, PJ was nice enough to bring, you know, my brother and my, uh, my son got to go, you know, on the sideline and, and observe practice. And, and to see him up close, he, you know, he, he reminded me of like a Megatron or a legitimate size-wise, you know, and – Watching him run routes and his speed and his polish, I think he's going to have an amazing career. Like I'm, I'm genuinely excited to see what he can do out there. 
and knock on wood, I hope he stays healthy. But, you know, hands and with TJ as his coach, he's, you know, he, he was one of those receivers who was a strict route runner, you know, very, very good route runner. Uh, being a little undersized, uh, you know, and he was attention to detail and hard work. And I'm sure you've, 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 you know, read or seen a lot about him and how he coaches and how he carries himself. Knowing that he played for PJ and watching his route running, I think he's going to have a phenomenal career. And like I said, it's just that, you know, hopefully he stays healthy. And I think he's going to be an unbelievable weapon. And uh, with, with that quarterback throwing him the ball, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for the, the season. Yeah, it's a great situation for him. I heard you get, when guys were talking about Corey coming out of out of, out of college and preparing for the draft, uh, they, they talked about the, the things he does to defenders is just unfair with his route running. And so it sounds like that he got that from P.J., that P.J. made that a part of his game. And with, with his size and his speed, having that kind of route running, it puts him in a good spot to be effective immediately. Oh, yeah. And I, and I know from experience and I, you know, I was nowhere near the athlete that, that, uh, that Corey, Corey is, but, you know, being a big guy and, and, uh, using your body and, and that was kind of my advantage, I think, coming in as a young player who I wasn't just an athlete who needed a lot of work. I was very, very, uh, very into watching others run routes and, and seeing what to do, what not to do and looking at the tendencies of DBs and one-on-one coverage. And, and you could create separation and not be the, the, the best athlete in the world or have the quickest feet, you know, like some of the guys, some of these guys I played with, uh, Lavernius Coles and um, Santana Moss, to where you're looking at, like, I, I don't have feet like that, you know, but I, I figure out what works for me and I go from there, you know, and this kid, Corey, you know, he's a freak. And, uh, and I just, like I said, he has, his hands are huge. He has amazing you know, amazing pass catching ability and his, his catch radius with his long arms. I mean, yeah, I think he's <laughs> sky's the limit for that kid, man. I'm excited. We are too. And he's a hard worker as well from what I've seen and what I've heard and, and playing for PJ, you know, he, he's one of those guys who's going to, you know, stay extra and, uh, and he's going to make everyone around him better. He's never been one, I think, to rely on just his, uh, his physical ability. He's always trying to improve every, uh, every practice. So, you know, that's what you, that's the way you got to be in the league. And, um, he's, you guys should be pumped. Fans have to be pumped this season. I mean, this is it. Absolutely, man. We waited a long time. Um, but, uh, as we mentioned before, you know, you came back to the Titans late in your career, which is pretty similar to what Eric Decker's doing right now. If you could give him any kind of advice coming to a team, you know, Nashville, you're, you're familiar with the area and, and, I don't know if you know any of the the newer coaches right now, but what kind of advice would you give him coming into Nashville this late in his career? Oh, enjoy it, man. Try not to buy a house too quickly. Great city. <laughs> he um, he actually already yeah. lives there. He already got his house. Oh, his, does his, he? his wife's a country singer apparently, but they they've been living there before he even, you know, signed. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Just enjoy the ride, man. Great great fan base, great state stadium, great city to get around in. And uh, after I left Florida, I, I, I recently moved to Dallas, and I've been here for about a year. And I, we left South Florida, and it was either Nashville or Dallas. And just because I had a brother here uh, with his family is why we settled here. But we were going to go back. And, and there's a reason a lot of former players are still there. I mean, I thank God after the, they drafted me in the fourth round because, you know, some cities I really didn't was not interested in going to. And uh, 
you know, part of me wishes I would have wouldn't have sold my house in uh, in Brentwood and just stayed or come back after New York. But um, I'll always be a Titan in my heart, and you know, I go back every year, and I think I'm going to go back again for the alumni game. So it's a great city. That's what we want to hear, man. It's growing. It's, it looks like Vegas now. A little. I mean, it's growing. The skyline looks different, but you know, I'm like, I haven't seen so many bachelor bachelorette parties uh, downtown <laughs> like ever in my life. Yeah, that's cool. And, and those 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 peddling uh, bars <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the trolley where you pedal around and drink. I was like, man, <laughs> wasn't here when I was there before. All right, Justin, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. You just said there were some cities that you didn't like going to as a player. What's one of those cities that was like you did not look forward to traveling to? No, any any of the the West Coast games were just too far and uh, just too far for me to visit. And you know, it was always a two day trip. And you know, I had I had roots in Chicago, and I you know I didn't want to be too far away. That's all I wanted to you know be closer to be able to zip back and forth when I was in the off season, you know, and I would, I would take that nine, 10 hour drive back and forth to Nashville a few times a year in the off season, which was perfect. I'm not going to bash any, any part of the country. <laughs> well, and of course Cleveland, but you don't have to say it if you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say that either. <laughs> yeah, Cleveland's a different problem now than it was then at least. You know, after your NFL career, you went to Florida, which is further away from home. Um, you, were, you were a police officer there. My father-in-law was a police officer, and you know he had some awesome stories. But I, I imagine going to Florida is a little bit different than being a police officer in Oklahoma. What part of Florida were you in, and you know what was was that something that you always wanted to do? Yeah, I was. Uh, I worked in Coral Springs, Florida, which is uh, just south of West Boca, about thirty minutes north of Fort Lauderdale, and. Yeah, I honestly, uh, you know, I was one of those kids uh, who, you know, I kind of wanted to be commando. You know, I, I had my sights set on, you know, maybe going to West Point or whatever. And my parents kind of talked me out of that real quickly. Um, and it's just, it was just always kind of in the back of my mind that, you know, after, you know, my football career in college and, what, you know, what was I going to do? And I, I knew I wanted to give that a shot. And it just, you know, as a player... I just kept, you know, kept improving and my career kept going on and on. And, you know, after I was done, it was, it wasn't really a, a long decision. I mean, you know, I took maybe half a year to just hang out and, and chill, but I actually applied to Nashville Metro. I didn't, yeah, I applied and I had to drive. I took the whole family in, in the car from Florida and we drove all the way up to take the, you know, the physical and the written tests. And there was like a freak blizzard that shut everything down. I think it was like, Oh, Oh, nine, maybe. And it was a huge blizzard in Tennessee, so they canceled it. I, we drove back to Florida. Eventually, we got there for a while, and we drove back, and uh, I applied to Coral Springs and a couple other departments. And next thing I know, I'm in the academy at 31, 32-year-old um, with a bunch of kids and wondering, you know, what am I doing here? But uh, it turned out to be a, a fantastic experience, you know, working, working, uh, as a police officer, I worked nights my entire career. I, I did SWAT, you know, I did about almost seven years to where it just, you know, my wife who, who I'd been with since college, um, you know, she, you know, she had the NFL experience and, uh, and the stresses that go with that and, um, and the spoils that go with that. And to now become uh, a police officer's wife and put up with that for, you know, the length of time that she did, you know, I commend her, but you know, it's a, 
it's one of those jobs where she's kind of like, well, you got this out of your system yet, you know, and your family's always kind of biting their tongue and, you know, not really happy with what you're doing. But, um, you know, they respected it and, uh, and I enjoyed it and I got enough of it. You know, I got enough of the, the excitement and the experiences that I wanted. And, um, by the time I left, I was ready. Like, I understand why cops get a little grumpy and, um, you know, it's a tough job. It's a, it's a very, very tough job, but the people I, I worked with, you know, top notch. And I can't speak for the entire country and, you know, all the things that happen with police officers, but the people I was around, I, you know, top notch human beings and, um, you know, touched me, touched my life, changed my life. And, um, and that experience was, in my opinion, just as impactful as, uh, as my NFL, you know, in football career. I mean, it was, I touched a lot of lives, made a lot of relationships, you know, had some white knuckle moments to where you're, you know, and, uh, but I enjoyed every second of it. And I got a bunch of stories, you know, some of them, I, I don't <laughs> We accept all cop stories, so all, all cop stories. <laughs> you know, like, like I said, uh, my father-in-law was—he he was not just a police officer and a captain. He was actually the chief of SWAT at one point. So, what was your best SWAT story that you feel like sharing with us? Well, there's there's, there's one uh, that you know the, the guy's still going to stand trial. I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> Thank God. No, no, no. I, I yeah, it, you know, I could speak on it. I was cleared. You know, I had a. Uh, an officer involved shooting, um, in February of, uh, 2017. And, and, you know, it was a tough story. I don't want to talk too much about it. Like I said, the guy, you know, is, they've found him fit to stand trial. Um, and I was cleared and it was a, you know, everything was straight and, uh, and cut and dry about it. But, um, it was a, you know, obviously a, a life changing moment, you know what I mean? And it was a, a SWAT story and a, a SWAT call out in the middle of the day where I'm off and home in the pool with my kids. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm outside of a window, uh, you, you know, proned out and, uh, and watching the window. So you could guess what kind of happened. And, uh, and thank God, you know, he survived and, you know, I didn't have to, you know, deal, deal with any of those thoughts. And, uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with it. I think, uh, you know, like I said, they're still going to stand trial and, uh, I may have to deal with that eventually, but pretty cut and dry, but just one of those moments where, uh, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about it. It was a, it was a scary experience, but a, a good experience. So probably I couldn't, you know, I couldn't give you any better stories, but there's, there's plenty of, them, you know, plenty of, uh, stories to where you see, you see a lot of other officers do things that nobody's going to hear about that nobody's going to report or make a big deal about, but you're just like, Christ, that's a good human being. You know, he didn't have to, he didn't have to go buy that family groceries with his own money and bring it back to her so the kids could have something in the refrigerator or, or, you know, there's, there's endless stories like that. And I'm sure around the country that goes on, but it, it, you know, it's not as exciting as some of the other stuff. So yeah. you don't hey, hear about it as much. Real quick. How long does, I'm, I'm just curious, how long was your tenure as an officer? I was in the academy in 09. I'd say six and a half, maybe almost seven. Okay. And I left. I actually tried to quit uh, after about four, and I, I I was able to quit for like a month, and then I rejoined. You know, like they let me right back. <laughs> you know, so it, it was uh you know long enough. It was long enough for me. You know, you, I got the like I said, I got the experiences that I wanted, and I'm very fortunate enough to move on and uh, you know 
do something else with my time when I have the choice. And a lot of guys got to do their 10 or 20 just because it's, uh, it's all they have. And, um, it's a very tough job. And, and, uh, you know, now I own a gym with my brother in Plano and, um, coaching kids and, you know, doing things that are a little more positive and a little easier on the family and getting to spend a lot more time at home. Justin, um, you know, I'm a military veteran. I've served in the Army, so I understand what you mean by those white-knuckle experiences. But uh, one question I wanted to ask you, you know, you came from the NFL into a role where you're a police officer. Was there any, like, you know, was it kind of tough to transition? Because I understand, you know, you had a level of, of fame and, and being known, and then was that carried over into the police? Did a lot of people, like, know who you were when you were down in Florida? Not a, not a, on the street. Like in Nashville, it got to the point where, you know, it's a little smaller town um, and people started to know me when I was a player. But when I retired in Florida, I mean, occasionally like the UPS man would recognize my name or something. And when I got to the academy, no one, no one recognized my face. But I remember the first day the guy kind of took a double take on my name to start, you know, Officer Lockhart, who was our instructor, you know, took a double take and was kind of like, you're that guy. And I was like, yeah. But quick, and same thing when I got to my department, you know, so people quickly realize, I guess, how you carry yourself and that, you know, this guy's doing, you know, he's being serious about this and uh, and he's here to do a good job. And, you know, and, and then they, they get used to it. So I, me, I always, I think I told you guys earlier, I always kind of knew in the back of my mind that, uh, you know, the NFL thing is, it's it's not going to last forever. And, and that's fine. And I'm going to make the most of it and have a great experience doing it. Yeah, I, I always knew when I was signing autographs at training camp or people were, you know, oh, my God, you know, I always knew one day they're not going to be they're not going to be saying this anymore. You know, I didn't really, you know, buy into the whole thing. Every year there's a new crop of guys, there's a new crop of talents and and everyone's going to get eventually get their shot. And, uh, you know, all I could do is uh, be myself, have, you know, make some money, save my money, try to get out in one piece. And, uh, and, and I made some great relationships, but, you know, as a cop, I'm like, now I'm a cop, you know, I guess, you know, that's just how I looked at it. And, uh, I got a little more money in my bank account and, but that doesn't, that doesn't make me any different, you know, on the job. And, and guys quickly realized that I was in it, you know, and I was always going to be going first through the door and, uh, you want to, you don't want to put that guy in handcuffs. I was happy to go do it. You know what I mean? So they, you know, under those situations, guys quickly, Forget about where you came from or, you know, what you look like or whatever. It's just, uh, is this guy taking care of business or he isn't? And, uh, and I think I did a pretty good job at, uh, at most parts of the job. Yeah, and you're coming from an NFL player to a police officer. Now you said you own a gym uh, and you're a coach. You've certainly learned to have some authority to your the way you present yourself and uh, <laughs> carry yourself. Uh, what kind of coaching are you doing? Well, we have a gym, I'll just say, uh, Max Speed and Strength in Plano. And uh, we do, you know, half adult classes, but, but we're, we're mainly focused on uh, kids' performance training. So, um, you know, you want your kid to get a little faster, jump a little higher, get a little stronger, get a little more fit. That's kind of what we do, not sports-specific. And it's funny that the majority of our youth clientele are, uh, is boys lacrosse and girls volleyball, which is very big down here in Dallas. And, um, uh, you know, we know nothing about either of those sports, but, you know, we knew some body mechanics and, uh, we knew how to get you faster, bigger, faster, stronger. So, you know, a couple of their 
stud lacrosse players uh, at Plano West High School, you know, really enjoyed the training and the word spread. And now uh, that's the majority of the kids we coach. And uh, it's great. Good word of mouth then. That's right. That's right. We're was, doing something right. So I think we have a good environment. And uh, and my brother, he was an All-American at Princeton. I got to mention him. And he hung on with uh, Arizona for, you know, for a little while after training camp. But he's he's the quarterback to this whole thing. And, uh, and brilliant guy, economics major. He works for George Weiss and Associate as a uh, energy analyst uh, for his full-time job. But, uh, yeah, him and, uh, and Jerome Collins, a, a Notre Dame grad, another Wheaton Warrenville South High School uh, rival of mine, He's, he, he coaches as well. He played four years in the NFL, I think, uh, with the Packers and the Giants. I think he's got a Super Bowl ring with the Giants. But, uh, yeah, that's, you know, it's us three and kind of uh, word spread. you got a good environment, and, and the kids love it. All right, Justin, we prepared a speed round for you here. So some quick uh, questions coming at you. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Coming into the NFL, did you ever meet a certain player that you were like all struck or starstruck by? Yeah, that was that was Eddie George, and I'm not make, making that up. You know, he was. Uh, I didn't know I was going to get. I had no idea that Tennessee was into me, but uh, Eddie George, right at, right out the gate, I was like, holy cow, man! Who do you think was your funniest teammate as a Titan? Uh, Drew Bennett, easily. I know him very well, and and we came in together but that guy you know unbelievably hilarious and uh you know not all not always clean jokes but uh just a just a riot anyone who knows him would agree with me that guy's you know like a walking ray of sunshine um your most memorable play as a titan oh man most memorable play there, there was uh there's a few of my favorite plays but most memorable um there's there's one versus Jacksonville, a touchdown on a slant route that Steve threw to me that uh, that I have no idea how I how I caught it, um, but I stayed with it and it was bouncing around forever and I, I snatched it on my back in the end zone. I think that was uh, pretty pretty memorable in my opinion. But there's there's a there's a playoff catch I guess I got to bring up in in Baltimore. I think it was our only touchdown of the game. That uh, that was a great feeling too. So yeah, let's go with the playoff one. Growing up in Illinois, were you a Bears fan? Oh yeah. <laughs> so when you, make, when you make it to the pros, was it weird playing the team you grew up rooting for? Yeah, it was a little bit. Yeah, it was. I, you know, you know, I, I, I was so caught up in the moment all the time. You know what I mean? That I don't think it's as weird as most people. Other fans have asked me that. Nah, not really. You know, it was just cool to, to, you know, go back and play at Soldier's Field. That was, you know, a great experience. And to have as many family and friends come to visit and see you, I guess that's pretty cool. But, uh, no, it wasn't that odd. Was there a uh, receiver going into the league that you, you know, idolized or based your game after or anything like that? i got to say Jerry. Yeah. Jerry Rice. But, um, you know, just, good choice. The, the route, the route running. Yeah. Obviously, you know, obvious choice, but, but mainly, mainly the, the route running, you know, and I was, I'm going to say like, I was one of those kids who, um, and I encourage all athletes to do this as young people, but watch, you know, there's so, there's so much footage of guys, you know, better than you doing things that you have no excuse not to watch. And I would, I'd watch any NFL game, any any player that was in any wide receiver that I could watch from behind run pass routes, I'd I'd watch and try to emulate. 
and try to figure out what works and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, but Jerry is one of those guys I, you know, I watched everything he did and, and as many video, any NFL, you know, v, VHS tapes and all that stuff. I'd watch any highlight footage that I could of him. Not a bad guy to try to emulate. <laughs> no, not at all. What's your best advice that you could give to an incoming rookie to the NFL? Make the most of every rep. You know what I mean? Every chance you get, don't don't take any plays off. And, and they, you learn pretty quickly that, you know, everything's going to be filmed and, and watched. But, you know what I mean, even even when no one's watching, even when you're out there, you know, with the quarterbacks, and, you know, just, just try to get better every day. And I think that's that, that was the key to my success, even through high school and college, to where, you know, I was never the fastest kid on my team, you know, or the, you know, the, the best player in the conference really ever. But one thing I did is I never stayed the same, and I, you know, improved every year, even throughout the, throughout the year. You know, I wasn't satisfied, which is, I, I never was satisfied. So, uh, you know, that, that's the advice I'd give any rookie who's drafted in the first round or who's a free agent, you know, just keep being the best you, you, you could be every day and the rest of the stuff will work itself out. Sounds kind of, sounds kind of corny, but man, it's, it's the truth. <laughs> the truth. When, yeah, when we asked uh, Kevin Dyson the same thing, he was like, "Man, I wish I knew more financially. You know, I would have, I would have stayed in Tennessee, bought land, and done all this." But oh yeah, <clears throat> but um, save, save right. your money. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, but now listen, I want you to dig deep on this one because this is this is a personal favor. I, I need your best Steve McNair story. I don't care the situation on the field, off the field, whatever. Just best Steve McNair story. On the field, and I know it was a it was a moment when I was getting cussed. I had screwed something up, you know, on the field or ran the wrong route or something. Some, you know, the usual bonehead thing that I would do. And uh, Heimerdinger, of course, is screaming at me, you know, and in in my face. And what did I do? And I think I was, you know, I I, I walked away just like tense as, as all hell. You know what I mean? I think this might have been my second season or whatever. I got hurt my rookie year, but. Steve grabbed me and I thought he was going to like, you know, tell me to lock in or be stern with me. He says, don't listen to that, you know, mf -er. Like, you know what I mean? He's like, you're good, baby. You know, it was just one of those moments where he, he had a smile and, and he, he wasn't disrespecting him. He's just like, come on, you know, that guy's going to be him. Move on from it. You know what I mean? And, and it was a, as a young player for a guy like him to be like, hey, we need you, man. And we're having fun out here. Have some fun, you know, and gives me that smile. He always, and you know, it changed it changed my uh, it changed my whole outlook on on things. Just in terms of, you know what I you know if this guy's having fun, all the pressure he's under, all the the weight that he's carrying on his shoulders. You know, I'm going to try to enjoy it, and I'm not going to let these little things bother me or any past mistakes bother me or coach screaming at me. You know, yeah, just enjoy it and and be you. And he uh, he was just such a fun fun guy to play around, fun guy to work for. You know, you wanted to be good for him. Because you know he, he was just a superhero out there, so that's how I remember that that smile. I know exactly what you're talking about, and you know he was such a good guy. It's just we actually had a little debate the last couple of days uh, amongst some Titan fans that you know we're kind of throwing shade on his legacy about you know his how he passed and everything. But you know uh -huh. aside aside from that incident, he was such a good guy. Oh yeah. 
but and a genuine, you know, a genuine good-hearted guy. It wasn't like you know he'd put on a face for for media for people or whatever. He was a you know genuine genuine person, and you know, he, like I said, you knew he was a Hall of Fame caliber talent, and you know, never it just seemed effortless to him. Everything he did seemed effortless, and and nothing you know seemed to bother him. Like he was just you know knew he was above and beyond everyone else. So. Um, yeah, and and we've all made mistakes in our lives. Unfortunately, what happened, uh, you know, it's terrible for him and his family. But we've all, you know, I'm, I'm the first to admit that I've made some terrible decisions, and uh, that you know didn't come back to bite me. And uh, you know, so we shouldn't judge on that. I agree, man. But uh, in closing, I got to get this from you because you know this is the season where everyone's has high expectations for the Titans this year. The easy answer is probably, you know, a 10 win team. Do you believe that they can reach those 10 wins or do you expect more or, or what do you think about the Titans this season? I think at least a 10 win season. I'm not just saying that. I think they, I, you know, I think this is a year to, you know, to push and they've got some talented players and uh, I think they've done a good job building. I, I think there's no reason they can't have a, a 10 or 11 win season you know, and do well in the playoffs. But, you know, a lot can happen, you know, and, and I always keep my finger fingers crossed about, you know, just teams staying healthy, keeping their keeping their weapons in place, and, you know, just go easy this, you know, this training camp is all I want to tell the coaches. <laughs> don't bang, don't beat each other up, you know, keep the team fresh and, and healthy so uh, they got all their weapons uh, when, when the real bullets start flying. Yes, sir. So you grew up a Bears fan, but we can safely assume that you're a diehard Titan now, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, and I'm yeah, Titans all the way. Best best memories of my career, and uh, and like I said, just a great city. You know, great experiences, and uh, and I go back every year. So maybe I'll see you guys at the game. There you go. Thanks a lot for coming on. It was a lot of fun having you on the show today. Thank you, man. It was a good experience. I appreciate it. I'm just happy. I'm just happy, guys. Uh, actually, still care, and I, you know, I felt like I did some good things, and uh, you know, it's nice to know that uh, you know fans still fans still care a little bit. So I appreciate it. Well, yeah, Titan always a Titan. I remember that they talked about where you were juggling it, and I remember being mm-hmm. like sitting there on the TV and be like, uh oh, uh. Oh, he's got it. <laughs> you know, just like the excitement and the, the yeah. rush of that situation. That definitely, definitely exciting yeah. to have you on. Thank you very much. Another big thanks to Justin McCarron for coming on the show with us. A great interview. Definitely the guy that we're going to try to get back here soon. Before we get out of here, just wanted to remind everybody to check out our website at ttupodcast.com. Bunch of stuff on there. You can check out our Fan Hall of Fame. We have our store where you can buy raffle tickets that I'll talk about in a second. A bunch of stuff on there you can check out, as well as some new additions coming very soon, like a schedule, plenty of other stuff to look forward to as well. Moving on to these raffle tickets. Me, Matt, and Glenn are excited to announce that we're adding new prizes to the raffle. It's not just going to be the Week 9 tickets to see the Titans take on the Baltimore Ravens, but also adding some new prizes here. We have three new prizes as of right now. The first one is the final spot in the TTU Fantasy Football League. We have one spot to fill, and we're going to do it through the raffle. So if you're interested, get a ticket. The next one here is 
is going to be uh, a shout-out on the show. We do the drops, you've heard them before, with Bo Scaife, Kevin Dyson, Justin Hartwig. You'll have one of those drops that we'll play on the show every now and again. And last but not least, you'll be able to come on the show and do your season predictions with us when we do our season predictions right before the start of the season. The easiest way to buy the tickets is on ttupodcast.com. If you go to the store page of that site, they're real easy. Click and pay there. Or if you want to go through PayPal, www.paypal.com. You can PayPal us the money at twotoneuncensored at gmail.com. We will be picking the winners of the raffle right before the end of training camp, right before the beginning of the season. So you have about a month to get in on this if you aren't already Definitely some great prizes out there to win. But as always, thanks to my amazing co-hosts, Matt and Glenn. And thanks to all of you out there to make this show possible. Tighten up. Two-tone. I'm broke. That's, that's true. Yeah. Don't say hello. Hello, Titans oh fans. My God. Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.